0: chapter thirty five of the roots of the mountains by william morris this librivox recording is in the public domain face of god talketh with the sunbeam face of god was at the bridge on the morrow before sunrising, and as he turned about at the bridge foot he saw the sunbeam coming down the street and his heart rose to his mouth at the sight of her and he went to meet her and took her by the hand and there were no words between them till they had kissed and caressed each other for there was no one stirring about them so they went over the bridge into the meadows and eastward of the beaten path thereover the grass was growing thick and strong and it was full of flowers as the cowslip and the oxlip and the chequered daffodil and the wild tulip the blackthorn was well-nigh done blooming but the hawthorn was in bud and in some places growing white it was a fair morning warm and cloudless but the night had been misty and the haze still hung about the meadows of the dale where they were wettest and the grass and its flowers were heavy with dew so that the sunbeam went barefoot in the meadow she had a dark cloak cast over her kirtle and had left her glittering gown behind her in the house they went along hand in hand exceeding fain of each other and the sun rose as they went and the long beams of gold shone through the tops of the tall trees across the grass they trod and a light wind rose up in the north as face of god stayed a moment and turned toward the face of the sun and prayed to him while the sunbeam's hand left the war leader's hand and stole up to his golden locks and lay amongst them presently they went on and the feet of face of god led him unwitting toward the chestnut grove by the old dyke where he had met the bride such a little while ago till he bethought whither he was going and stopped short and reddened and the sunbeam noted it but spake not but he said hereby is a fair place for us to sit and talk till the day's work beginneth so then he turned aside and soon they came to a hawthorn brake, out of which arose a great tall stemmed oak showing no green as yet save a little on its lower twigs and anigh it yet with room for its boughs to grow freely was a great bird cherry tree all covered now with sweet-smelling white blossoms there they sat down on the trunk of a tree felled last year and she cast off her cloak and took his face between her two hands and kissed him long and fondly and for a while their joy had no word but when speech came to them it was she that spake first and said gold mane my dear Sorely i wonder at thee and at me how we are changed since that day last autumn when i first saw thee whiles i think didst thou not laugh when thou wert by thyself that day and mock at me privily that i must needs take such wisdom on myself and lessen thee standing like a stripling before me dost thou not call it all to mind and make merry over it now that thou art become a great chieftain and a wise warrior and i am yet what i always was a young maiden of the kindred save that now i abide no longer for my love her face was exceeding bright and rippled with joyous smiles and he looked at her and deemed that her heart was overflowing with happiness and he wondered at her indeed that she was so glad of him and he said yea indeed oft do i see that morning in the woodland hall and thee and me therein as one looketh on a picture yea verily and i laugh yet is it for very bliss neither do I mock at all. Did I not deem thee a God then, and am I not most happy now when I can call it thus to mind? And as to thee, thou wert wise then, and yet art thou wise now? Yea, I thought thee a God, and if we are changed, is it not rather that thou hast lifted me up to thee, and not come down to me? Yet therewithal he knit his brows somewhat, and said, Yet thou hast not to tell me that all thy love for thy folk and thy yearning hope for its recoverance was but a painted show else why shouldst thou love me the better now that i am become a chieftain and therefore am more meet to understand thy hope and thy sorrow did i not behold thee as we stood before the wolf of the hall of shadowy vale how the tears stood in thine eyes as thou beheldest him and thine hand in mine quivered and clung to me and thou wert all changed in a moment of time was all this then but a seeming and a beguilement oh young man she said hast thou not said it that we stood there close together and my hand in thine and desire growing up in me dost thou not know how this also quickeneth the story of our folk and our goodwill towards the living and remembrance of the dead shall they have lived and desired and we deny desire and life or tell me what was it made thee so chieftain like in the hall yesterday so that thou wert the master of all our wills. For as self-willed as some of us were, was it not that I, whom thou deemest lovely, was thereby watching thee and rejoicing in thee? Did not the sweetness of thy love quicken thee? Yet, because of that, was thy warrior's wisdom and thy foresight an empty show? Heedest thou not of the folk of the dale? Wouldest thou sunder from the children of the fathers and dwell among strangers? He kissed her and smiled on her and said, did I not say of thee that thou wert wiser than the daughters of men? See how wise thou hast made me. She spake again. Nay, nay, there was no feigning in my love for my people. How couldst thou think it, when the fathers and the kindred have made this body that thou lovest, and the voice of their songs is in the speech thou deemest sweet? He said, Sweet friend, I deem not that there was feigning in thee. I was but wondering what I am and how I was fashioned. That I should make thee so glad that thou couldst, for a while, forget thy hope of the days before we met, she said. Oh, how glad, how glad! Yet was I nought hapless, in despite of all trouble, I had no down weighing grief, and I had the hope of my people before me. Good were my days, but I knew not till now how glad a child of man may be. Their words were hushed for a while amidst their caresses. Then she said, Goldmain, my friend i mocked not my past self because i deem that i was a fool then but because i see now that all my wisdom could do would have come about without my wisdom and that thou deeming thyself something less than wise didst accomplish the thing i craved and that which thou didst crave also and with all wisdom embraced thee along with love therewith she cast her arms about him and said o friend i mock myself of this that erst thou deemest me a god and fearest me but now thou seemest to me to be a god and i fear thee yea though i have long so sore to be with thee since the day of shadowy vale and though i have wearied of the slow wearing of the days and it hath tormented me yet now that i am with thee i bless the torment of my longing for it is but my longing that compelleth me to cast away my fear of thee and caress thee because i have learned how sweet it is to love thee thus he wound his arms about her and sweeter was their longing than mere joy and though their love was beyond measure yet was therein no shame to aught not even to the lovely dale and that fair season of spring so goodly they were among the children of men in a while they arose and turned homeward and went over the open meadow and it was yet early and the dew was as heavy on the grass as before though the wide sunlight was now upon it glittering on the wet blades and shining through the bells of the chequered daffodils till they looked like gouts of blood look said sunbeam as they went along by the same way whereas they came deemest thou not that other speech friends besides us have been abroad to talk together apart on this morning of the eve of battle it is not unwonted that we do even though we forget the trouble of the people, to think of our own joy for a while. The smile died out of her face as she spoke, and she said, O friend, this much may I say for myself in all sooth, that indeed I would die for the kindred and its good days, nor falter therein, but if I am to die, might I but die in thine arms. He looked very lovingly on her, and put his arms about her, and kissed her, and said, What ails us to stand in the doom-ring and bear witness against ourselves before the kindred? Now I will say, that whatsoever the kindred may or can call upon me to do, that will I do, nor grudge the deed. I am sackless before them. But that is true which I spake to thee when we came together up out of shadowy vale, to wit, that I am no strifeful man, but a peaceful, and I look to it to win through this war, and find on the other side, Either death or life amongst a happy folk, and I deem that this is mostly the mind of our people," she said. "Thou shalt not die. Thou shalt not die. May happen not," he said. Yet yesterday I could not but look into the slaughter to come, and it seemed to me a grim thing and darkened the day for me, and I grew a cold as a man walking with the dead. But tell me, thou sayest I shall not die. Dost thou say this only because I am become dear to thee? or dost thou speak it out of thy foresight of things to come she stopped and looked silently a while over the meadows towards the houses of thorpe they were standing now on the border of a shallow brook that ran down toward the weltering water it had a little strand of fine sand like the seashore driven close together and all moist because that brook was used to flood the meadow for the feeding of the grass and the last evening the hatches which held up the water had been drawn so that much had ebbed away, and left the strand aforesaid. After a while, the sunbeam turned to face of God, and she was become somewhat pale. She said, Nay, I have striven to see, and can see naught save the picture of hope and fear that I make for myself. So it oft befalleth foreseeing women, that the love of a man cloudeth their vision. Be content, dear friend, it is for life or death, but which so it be, the same for me and thee together yea he said and well content i am so now let each of us trust in the other to be both good and dear even as i trusted in thee the first hour that i looked on thee it is well she said it is well how fair thou art and how fair is the morn and this our dale in the goodly season and all this abideth us when the battle is over once more her voice became sweet and wheedling and the smile lit up her face again and she pointed down to the sand with her finger and said see thou here indeed have other lovers passed by across the brook shall we wish them good luck he laughed and looked down on the sand and said thou art in haste to make a story up indeed i see that these first footprints are of a woman for no karl of the dale has a foot as small for we be tall fellows and these others withal are a man's footprints and if they showed that they had been walking side by side simple had been thy tale but so it is not i cannot say that these two pairs of feet went over the brook within five minutes of each other but sure it is that they could not have been faring side by side well belike they were lovers bickering and we may wish them luck out of that truly it is well seen that bow may hath done thine hunting for thee dear friend or else wouldst thou have lacked venison for thou hast no hunter's eye well she said but wish them luck and give me thine hand upon it he took her hand and fondled it and said By this hand of my speech friend i wish these twain all luck in love and in leisure in faring and fighting in sewing and samming in getting and giving is it well enough wished if so it be then come thy ways dear friend for the day's work is at hand it is well wished she said now hearken by the valiant hand of the war leader by the hand that shall unloose my girdle i wish these twain to be as happy as we be he made as if to draw her away but she hung back to set the print of her foot beside the woman's foot and then they went on together and soon crossed the bridge and came home to the house of the face when they had broken their fast face of god would straight get to his business of ordering matters for the warfare and was wishful to speak with folk might but found him not either in the house or in the street but a man said i saw the tall guest come abroad from the house and go toward the bridge very early in the morning the sunbeam who was anigh when that was spoken heard it and smiled and said go mane deemest thou that it was my brother whom we blessed i wot not he said but i would he were here for this gear must speedily be looked to nevertheless it was nigh an hour before folk might came home to the house he strode in lightly and gaily and shaking the crest of his war-helm as he went he looked friendly on face of god and said to him thou hast been seeking me war-leader but grudge it not that i have caused thee to tarry for as things have gone i am twice the man for thine helping than i was yester-eve and thou art so ready and deft that all will be done in due time he looked as if he would have had face of god ask of him what made him so fain but face of god said only i am glad of thy gladness but now let us dally no longer for i have many folk to see to-day and much to set a-going so therewith they spake together a while and then went their ways together toward carlstead and the woodlanders End of chapter thirty five